Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of the Death to Manel podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Burkhart with Burkhart Creative Agency. Uh, we are an agency located in Phoenix, Arizona, and we primarily do video production, but we also have uh, really dug in and tried our hands at advertising and branding, and our clients have really loved our work, and so we're excited to do more of that as well. Enough about us, though. This is about the show, and uh, today we have on an incredible guest. His name is Daniel T. Richards. T is important because that's how he stands out, right? And this podcast is about standing out, so you get noticed instead of get ignored. And uh, we talk through some really incredible stuff. So he works inside of a company called the Federalist Society as their um, director and VP, if I'm not mistaken, of all of their digital presence. And so him and I had a really good talk because some of the clients we work with are professionals um, and they are so smart. But sometimes uh, it's hard for them to really distill the information that they have into a way that's consumable uh, quickly consumable for kind of your average everyday person, right? Who's just consuming content or at least is just unfamiliar with the industry that they're in. And so um, he helps guide us through the process of being able to really get people to break down their vast knowledge into something that's consumable. And, and obviously for anyone who's marketing, that's absolutely huge. Um, you know, if you're a CMO and you're trying to distill the message of the company or something that's very technical down, uh, this is going to be super important for you, uh, especially if you're in a technical field. So without further ado, here is my interview with Daniel. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Death of Vanilla podcast. And I am so excited to have Daniel Richards on the call and he is the vice president and director of digital at the federalist society uh this is a membership organization for conservatives and libertarians invested uh, excuse me interested in current legal culture um so honestly he just does a ridiculous amount of stuff but uh, he manages the society's broad range of video content in all digital marketing including social media advertising analytics and graphic design um, and they've been diving into some really cool video content so he was actually the executive producer for a full-length documentary they say it can't be done which is actually out now and uh, yeah you have a an MA in business community or sorry professional communication from Clemson University and live in DC um, with a wife and a two-year-old son so um, and you, uh, apparently your wife is not the only one who enjoys a nice cocktail because I show here that you enjoy a whiskey. So I got to admit, I'm just not much of a whiskey guy. Like I just like it, like the only like dark liquor I really enjoy is occasionally rum and then, uh, like a darker tequila, but I don't no, that, know. I just... That just sounds like a challenge to me, really, <laughs> to, uh, to find a delightful whiskey that, that you could enjoy. But Right. Well, I'm, I don't know. It's just, um, I don't know. I just never got into it. So my brother-in-law loves whiskey, and I can't remember if it was whiskey or bourbon that he gave me that was like like a smoky mm-hmm. uh, whiskey. And it was, it literally tasted like I was drinking a campfire. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but... I can't say like that I've good, ever thought uh, about doing that. Like a good Lafroy or a Lagavulin, they they definitely taste like uh, you, you're eating some ashes after making a, sh- a s'more or something like that. But uh, 
Yes. I've actually never thought about doing that after eating a s'more. So I'm just like, I'm not sure what the appeal is, but I don't know. It's just, you know, it's just, I think it's one of those things just like anything else. It's, um, so I, I don't know if we ever talked about him, but have you ever heard of uh, Gary Vaynerchuk? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So he, he was, he dove dive, uh, sorry, he deep dived into um, like wine tasting and how like the tannins of the wine especially for like a really complex wine are actually usually pretty strong and you actually have to drink enough wine that your like body like your taste buds get used to that flavor and can kind of push past it so then you can kind of dive into some of the other more complexities of uh the flavor and i imagine it's probably the same with whiskey where it's one of those things where like once you get past the initial burn um you know or campfire taste then you're literally physically able to taste other things going on and uh, i'm no whiskey expert so you'll have to illuminate me on that one well that's i mean that's totally correct and and the idea here is that so many people um are not getting the most out of these whiskeys because two things one is when they do a tasting or something they tend to shove their nose in this glass Mm. and all you do when you shove your nose in a glass is you're just going to get alcohol vapor and it's just going to be awful Okay. Um, so there are actually ways to even smell whiskey that w- that would enhance uh, the experience. And then tasting, first sip, you're just going to get strong alcohol flavors. And then the key here, so whenever you're out tasting whiskey now, remember this, the key here is take the small sip and then take a second sip immediately after. Okay. And you will get way more flavors in that second sip because your fir- the first sip coats your tongue and basically primes it for the next one. So try that and see if they start tasting a little bit better. But that's super smart. I'm literally I wouldn't necessarily I'm approaching it the same way as I would wine, but like obviously wine is such an aromatic experience that you're wanting to stiff, you know, stuff your whole face into the glass, especially a red and like really breathe in all yeah. those things because that's so much a part of it. Um so I'm literally doing the opposite of what you're supposed to <laughs> with whiskey. So that makes sense of why my experience has been less than pleasant. You know, I tell people um that people who, who stick their, their nose in or they're not sipping, uh, taking two sips or something. What I say is you, you think about this in the same way that if you were going to go see the Mona Lisa, for instance. Now, you usually won't be able to get this close because of security and people. But if you were to just walk up to the Mona Lisa and stand there like this, you would not get the same experience from the Mona Lisa as if you're standing at appropriate length or even if you're standing you know, 300 feet away there's an appropriate distance or maybe a series of appropriate distances where you can get the most out of that painting. Same goes for all of your senses. They work appropriately at appropriate distances. So nice. No, that, that makes, that makes total sense. And I didn't know that. So now look at me (laughs) learning something new today. So, and and believe it or not, this is, this is not a podcast about drinking or whiskey, whiskey, but I told you we would do rabbit trails and I have not let you down. So, (laughs) but yeah, so can, so obviously, yeah, I gave you that, uh, that introduction, but I would love for you to deep dive a little bit more into, uh, what it is you do, uh, because you deal with a lot of complexities, uh, legally, um, the complexity of, of just, you know, being the director and the vice president of a a whole division and area and group of people. And so, yeah, just unpack that a little bit, just like kind of what your job looks like on a somewhat daily basis. Sure. And if, and if something piques your interest, just uh, stop me and we can deep dive on that as well, or keep talking about whiskey up to you. (laughs) Um, So 
I, I, my team basically manages two different things for the organization. One is we manage a lot of video content. And we think about video content in terms of creating shows. And so we have two primary shows right now. One is called FedSoc Films, and that is more of a documentary type content where we're doing a deep dive on complex legal and legal cultural issues. We just released one on uh, the Section 230 debate, i.e. should we be regulating Twitter and Facebook because they discriminate? Um, and then our second show in the video context is called Number 86. It's a play off of the Federalist Papers. There were 85 of them. This is the continuation. And they're more of um, an explainer style series, three minutes, one to three minutes explaining pithy legal issues in constitutional law, uh, administrative law, uh, Roman law even, that's a, an elective uh, type course in law school. And those are specifically designed for law students. Um, so that that's sort of half of what my team does is we deep dive in these legal cultural issues, try to explain them to our audience as best we can, and also hopefully make them as interesting and engaging as we can, because sometimes the law is just not that fun. Um, so we try to surprise to me. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Well, and unfortunately, um, you know, I, I don't want to get political, but I'd say like, I would say probably everyone would agree that it's we live in such a charged emotionally in charged uh, environment mm -hmm. that um that th those are are those are rough they can be rough subjects to talk about sure. objectively and um intelligently uh because of the emotional aspect of a lot of these things and heated debates and such so sorry go ahead i, so I was just going to say that that that's uh, a thousand percent correct and i experience that on a daily basis but i think one of the the key brand positions that we have as an organization is that we are actually not going to approach these topics in a way that's inflammatory or particularly partisan. What we really want is to get at core truths and we can only do that through robust substantive debate. And so all of our documentaries feature multiple perspectives and there is no grand unifying moral at the end. No thing we're trying to hit you over the head with. Mm -hmm. It is a genuine exploration of the topic. In the in the debate about Section 230, which we just released, we feature Representative Chris Cox, who wrote the law, and we feature Senator Ted Cruz, who desperately opposes the law. Right. Uh, we feature uh, a policy expert on one side in favor of the law. We feature a policy expert totally against the law. And we hopefully by the end, you get to make up your mind about what you think about this issue, but we've presented clear, meaningful, substantive debates around these issues. And when we can't do that, when we can't have two people in a, in a one minute video or a three minute video, for instance, it is a mandate with our speakers that they be fully upfront with the audience about what the other side thinks on this issue or what the other side's best argument is so that there is there is no hiding the issue from anyone. And then to top it off, <laughs> we include on all of our, uh, in all of our YouTube descriptions, links to competing views. Mm. So that if there's something that we couldn't represent in the video, see below and you'll likely find uh, a view to explore. So that's really important to us because yes, so much discussion of law becomes a political issue. And we, we can't avoid that in the sense that we live in a political culture, but at the same time, we do want people to be informed and to find substantive information so they can make up their own mind about whatever political stance they want to take. Sure. So from a storytelling point of view, right? Because if mm -hmm. we're talking about people who are marketing, advertising, branding, whatever it is, it's all communication, right? And yeah. so 
Um, how do you as a director, especially since you've had this great experience as an executive director for this, um, the documentary that you did, how do you go about approaching something uh, in a way to seek clarity, right? Because I think even in business, you have a situation where um, just people in general are overloaded with information. And so if you're marketing a company that uh, has a product or service and there's a thousand others like it, you gotta be super clear about what makes yours different. So yep. I'd love for you to use what you've learned on, on your end to be able to help bring some clarity on and how do we actually seek that out functionally when it comes to you know, you tell me, but like, you know, script writing, storyboarding, what have you uh, in communication. Sure. So uh, it all starts here, which is uh, clarity to whom? Who is this video for? I know that it is maybe a, even a tired uh, a saying at this point, but I, I'll keep saying it, which is who is your audience? Right. Who is it? And we take a particular approach in doing our video work that, that, I think is becoming more common, but when we were we were starting it, it was a little bit uncommon. Uh, and I like to just summarize this approach as think smaller, really think smaller about your audience. Um, even in our world, which is mostly lawyers and law students, people wanna grow their audience, quote unquote, reach more people, quote unquote, trademark, et cetera. Um, but what I wanna do is actually continually define smaller audiences and reach more audiences, not make my one audience bigger, but reach smaller, more well-defined audiences. So let's take our number 86 product, for example. This is uh, overall supposed to continue the conversation in their law school classrooms about constitutional law and, and all the various subjects they're going to be studying. And so already the law school audience, the people actively going to law school, is only about 130,000 people at any one time. So already a pretty well-defined audience. But even within that, there's lots to break down in those audiences. For instance, there's a huge difference between a first-year law student called a 1L and a third-year law student, a 3L. They have way different knowledge sets. They have way different desires. Uh, 1Ls are trying to learn things. They're trying to get accustomed to law school. They're trying to, to catch up as quickly as they can because man, is it a roller coaster. Three L's are focused on taking the bar. Hmm. <laughs> they may be interested in, in learning some new things, but for the most part, they need bar prep help and they're looking for a job. Uh, so you can even divide it along those lines. And then even within those, it could be different based off of schools. So all I'm trying to demonstrate here is that try to think smaller about your audience. And once you're sort of clearly defining an actual audience, it's not only like what you're trying to sell them or, or how different you are, but what is the particular value you're providing for them? How can you really be valuable to them in a way that will make them stop from looking at some other content to choose to look at your content? So particularly for 1Ls, for instance, our constitutional law courses are taught by some of the world's leading experts on constitutional law. That is a high value for them because they're almost certainly just gonna hear from one professor or one perspective on this. And maybe that professor just doesn't have the way of explaining it that works for this particular student. Sure. Well, we have seven, eight, nine, ten 10 different professors explaining various elements of constitutional law in one to three minute segments of, of what you're going to be studying. So that's the particular value for them in that context. Mm -hmm. 
And then once you have figured out who your audience is and what the value it is you're going to be providing, all of those decisions then shape everything you do in scripting, storyboarding, stringing out, et cetera. And we always try to go back to those values and make sure that they are our guiding North Star for where we're going with this. And so many times when we cut something together and we're watching it and we're sitting there going, ah, this is incredibly boring or, <laughs> or I have no idea what's going on. It's because we've actually missed out on one of the core values. Mm. Um, so I'll give you, um, uh, sort of a breakdown of that process in, in a very quick way, which is we typically do the research on the subject beforehand and figure out the main points we want to communicate. We run that by an expert. The expert says, you got 96%, but here's this one core thing you really need to talk about that's really super nerdy and legal. <laughs> um, and then we write the interview questions. But part of it is we write the interview questions in a way that allows the professor to be themselves, that allows them to give genuine answers. We've tried scripting, and in some cases we'll do scripting, but really there's no replacement for that feeling of an expert, whether they're a professor or a doctor or whomever, um, especially one who's used to talking. Sometimes they're not, I understand that, but one who's used to talking like a professor, there's, there's no uh, replacing them giving that lecture feel, like when they're just in the groove right? Like they've mastered this and they are just communicating. And then uh, almost always that means uh, we've resulted in about 20 pages of interview script and we need about a third of a page. <laughs> and so what, one thing that uh, sort of revolutionized how we do content marketing is batch work. Thinking about, so we're, we're setting off to do this one video, but what are some of the ancillary topics around this topic that we can actually mine out of all these other 20 pages that we're not gonna put in the video we set out to make. Mm -hmm. And so then you get all this gold, all this content gold of stuff you didn't really set out to do. And so many times for us, it's we're, we're explaining a topic of qualified immunity or, or something like that, something to do with criminal law. But, he, but the professor goes off on these tangents about case law. It's a really big thing for lawyers, case law. Yeah. And so then we get all these videos about cases and so now instead of having one video that we can produce, we have four or five videos that we can produce. Right. And it's just a great way to mine it. Uh, and then we cut those transcripts into scripts, we get them approved by the speaker, and then we're sort of off to the races uh, into post-production, which is a whole, whole different beast, as you know. Yes, <laughs> it sure <laughs> is. So I think you bring up something really important, which is, well, so I wouldn't describe it as a red flag, but something I see as a concern, which is, mm -hmm. okay, so you've, you've talked about instead of broadening one audience, having other audiences. And so sure. how do you not get yourself in a situation where you're spread thin, mm -hmm. right? Because if, if your idea is, is, you know, so are you repurposing the same content? Are you literally creating new content from scratch and then what happens when you have a dozen different audiences are you making you know 12 pieces of content a day because each one's different you know what i mean like you can see how like the, the like you know without explanation this could totally get out of hand as far as how much content you're making and, and obviously you have a team but um even then there's there's an end to some of that so great uh, question yeah, yeah walk us through some of that great question so it's not that um for every audience, we are making 
a new piece of content. It's just understanding that these are the audiences we're trying to serve and the audiences we're trying to be of value to, and the total universe of our content will serve them, um, but not that every video we create is designed for or uh, repurposed for every single audience. So what I'm saying is, for instance, in this number 86 genre, it might be that we record with a professor, we get six or seven videos from this professor. Well, some of it is going to be fairly basic. It's going to be introductory level material. Mm -hmm. That we are going to purpose for and market to the 1L audience, this sort of younger audience. There might be other content in that that is a bit more sophisticated that really you need a full year of law school to really understand what they're talking about. That is going to be purposed for and marketed to a different type of audience, a 2L audience, for instance. Right. Um, and same with uh, if we get content in the documentary. It might be that certain segments of the documentary serve a particular audience, certain segments serve a different audience, and we can cut that up later or market it later to bring them back to it. It's like, so it's thinking about like, what are the entry points for people, for instance, what do they need to know in order to really get the most out of this content? Um, or it might be that a full documentary that we make is for a particular audience. And then another full documentary we make is for another particular type of audience. And that we're only making one short documentary for one audience twice a year or something like that. Okay. And then trying to re trying to, uh, purpose the content or create other content to maybe bring them into the next bucket. Like obviously 1L audiences who have watched a lot of these videos could be moved on to the higher order videos, for instance. And that's where I think a lot of the marketing and digital strategy comes in, which is the second half of everything my team does. So we do the content side and it's also connected to uh social media, advertising, the graphic design components, branding, et cetera. Okay. So is the, so you talked about taking a single, single, um, say script and mm -hmm. then finding that it has different audiences. Sure. Is, is that kind of, is that kind of happening organically or are you like really intentionally tweaking that? Or is that one of those like surprise and delight things when the fact that like you mentioned, you're kind of setting a professor or, or a lawyer loose and in his exploration of the topic, he's actually the one um, who's kind of surprising you with a different angle that you're able to leverage for a different audience. Is So, so I guess my question is, is how much of that is intentional and how sure. much of it is kind of organically happening just due to the volume of content that you're making? Well, it'd be a lie to say that it's all intentional because it's certainly not, but there is an element of you, or in our case, we are working with our audience all the time mm -hmm. and we're always increasingly understanding who it is we're talking about. And so that just becomes this core component of who we are and how we create content. We we're just knowing our audience like mm. really, really well. And that doesn't mean there isn't more to learn and that it cha doesn't change over time. It always does. Audiences always change over time. Um, and you always have to constantly be learning, but it's a thing where certainly we set out with several intentions. Like this is going to be 
a new series on corporate law, for instance, super riveting corporate law, let me tell you. <laughs> um, and we understand that, you know, we're setting out to create a lot of beginner videos about corporate law. So these first year students, these one else. But as we're doing it, and as we're getting content back from the experts, there are other things emerging from it. And we're recognizing those. And part of it, to think about it just a little bit differently, with a little bit different shade on it, is we are trying to squeeze every ounce of content out of production as we possibly can. Sure. Because production time is very valuable and very expensive. And experts' time is valuable. And our time is valuable. So even if we have this intentionality set out to create four videos uh, for a 1L perspective, if other stuff is coming out of it, we're not to a certain degree going to stop the expert from giving us that, maybe if we have a really limited amount of time in the studio or something, sure. but we want to bring that out of them. And we want to identify that as best we can in the moment so that we do have other content that we can create for other audiences that we're trying to serve. So it, it's it's definitely a mixture and, and it's definitely a balancing act. But the core principle here I think is Get out of the experts or your your whoever you're filming or whatever your content is, what you set out to accomplish, certainly. But be open to the other things that are going to come from that and try as best you can to repurpose all of this, this gold yeah. <laughs> that, that your interview subjects are giving you into as much as you can. Right. Now, that makes sense. Yeah. I, I, I find that a lot when, when I talk to someone who is really an expert or just very knowledgeable it's like literally anything they say is just like the most brilliant thing i've ever heard and and it's because of the fact that they have such depth of knowledge and, and what i feel like i'm hearing from you is because of the fact that you're just in it every day that when you go to write scripts like there's kind of this inherent like depth that comes out of it that allows those magic moments to happen because of the fact that you're knowledgeable. And so, you know, for the people who are listening to have a, a, a business or small business or their marketer inside of a business, you know, there's what I'm hearing is that there's incredible value in every bit of knowledge that you learn about your target audience or audience says, because of the fact that it's actually going to make you make better content almost by accident. But, you know, obviously with the intention is, you know, obviously learning about the audience wasn't an accident, right. but there's kind of like this natural organicness to uh, depth that happens when you do that. And that, that, that's at least what I'm picking up from you. When you invest in audience analysis and understanding your audiences, the return on that investment is ongoing and will far surpass anything you, you thought it would be like basic market research. Great. Whatever. But really, I mean, not whatever. I want to be very clear. That's important. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I don't want to be dismissive of that at all. That's not but my that, intention. But that's like, that's like, that's baseline, right? Yes, you should be doing that. That's incredibly important. But beyond that, really understanding motivations, desires, what's really valuable to them, especially because we're talking about content marketing, right? Like the key component here is, is, is content. And then in the same way, I think about when we talk about social media, so many people just drop the social part and just treat it as broadcast media when 
No, social is there for a reason. You're right. supposed to converse and whatever. This content marketing, people tend to drop the content part. And it's just, we're just going to do marketing, but on video now. But no, the content piece is people are consuming content, but why are they consuming content? Why is your audience consuming content in particular? What do they want to get out of it? What do you have to offer that's particularly valuable to them that they would not watch uh, someone else's videos and watch yours? Don't don't always be selling. Is right. Way to think about it. But but always don't tell be Grant a Cardone that. Shoot. Oh, you turn inside out. I know. I, I sometimes <laughs> don't even say that dumb dumb line. But uh, point being that it's in my world and thinking about it, it's always be a value. But mm. you can only know if you're being a value if you really know your audience. Right. audiences to be particular. Right. Oh, no, I, I 100% agree. In fact, that is one of the things that I talk about often whenever I'm talking about content marketing is content marketing is not sales. It's what leads up to the sale. Yeah. Right. And so when you go and you're making, like you said, like an L1 piece of content or one R, one L, excuse me, mm -hmm. when you're making a one L piece of content, like that is the wrong time for you know x y and z like it's not a time to sell it you know feeding them uh you know 3l content isn't the next step like there's all sorts of like misses that i think people have when they go to make content marketing and it's like you said is you know is it marketing with content or is it content marketing because That's if right. you're marketing with content then having you get from the them seeing that to a sale as quickly as possible certainly is lovely and I'm not going to be sad if it happens, uh, but that's not the, you know, it is not a sales call. It's not a cold call. It's uh, building uh, rapport. It's educating. It's helping people move into, you know, the next phase of the funnel. One of the key ways I like to think about it is, um, so my background, uh, I have that master's in professional communication, but one of the, the key things that you study in that is the field of rhetoric. Uh, persuasion, which um, gets a bad rap now. We, we tend to use the word rhetoric in a very, very poor way now, uh, and maybe rightly so. But the key concept in rhetoric is, is the art of persuasion. What is actually persuasive to people? And so I'm going to dig deep here. Sorry if, if this it. loses anyone, but uh, big fan of Aristotle. <laughs> and Aristotle lays out three key elements of of persuasion, logic, emotion. And then he spends a lot of time on this third one, which he calls ethos, which is translated in many different ways. It could be character or, or moral or, or, or something like that. But, but he breaks it down to three things. Your ethos, how people judge you is based on one, your perceived expertise. So do you know what you're talking about? Two, are you a good person? What is your reputation? And then three, are you showing goodwill to your audience? Mm. And every time I think about content marketing, I think about those three things constantly because we're trying to demonstrate an expertise, in particular, this expertise in law that we can explain these things and they can be of value to our customers. Two, we, have, we want to maintain that reputation of being nonpartisan. So we, we, are, we are good people. We're not trying to manipulate you. We're not trying to sell you a bill of goods. This is legit, real content for you that's valuable and it's truthful, et cetera. And then the goodwill part definitely comes in in that, oh, and by the way, at the end, 
There's not a sales pitch at the end. There's just thanks. And maybe do you want to watch another one? Right. And ideally those three things combined make it so that 1L students who have never heard of us, who have never heard of the Federal Society, their interest is piqued. Maybe they want to see more, but I'm not directly selling them a membership or a membership organization. I mean, it's a $50 membership. It's not some crazy barrier to entry for students. I think it's $5 while they're in law school. Oh, okay. But but even that's it's not, that's not the purpose of this. The purpose of this is to build the ethos of the organization, of the brand that we're trying to sell. It is trying to provide a value for this community so that they see the organization that it's coming from as a valuable, as a value for them and their community. Dang. See, I really like that because I feel like that is the formula when people throw around the word authentic content. Mm -hmm. um, and I feel like what they really mean is really encapsulated in those three things. Um, authentic content is content that has good intention from a good person. You know what I mean? That That's helpful. Yeah. Um, but Absolutely. nobody really breaks down like how you get there, like make authentic content, go start right now. Like, <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> That means I talk about my personal problems on my business page, I guess. Like, right. You know what I mean? The, you know, and maybe that's a part of it, but mm -hmm. I feel like that's kind of what, where people take that, which I said, it, it you know, can be bad, um, can be good too. Certainly a lot of people have broken out of their bubble by being authentic uh, and real. Um, but I think those three steps, man, that's, that's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> that was, Leave it to Aristotle. I mean, yeah. I, he's, he solved so many problems in communication such a long time ago. If anyone hasn't read it, he wrote a book or well, well, at the time he was just giving lectures and, and someone wrote it down. Someone wrote right. the notes down uh, called rhetoric. Okay. And it's sort of his explanation of what it means to be persuasive. And a lot of it is totally useless. Not going to lie. A lot of it has to do with standing armies and all sorts of fun things that the, the Greeks dealt with. Right. Um, but uh the core core bits of it are incredibly useful and I think are principles that apply across anything you're going to do in the content marketing space for sure. Nice. Yeah, ab absolutely. I mean, I mean, let's be honest. I mean, there is no shortage of information on what you should be doing, but there's not necessarily like a lot of information on like actually how to get there. Sure. You know, it's like, oh, yeah, make like I said, it's like make authentic content, but there's not a whole lot of like how do you get there. And so then it leaves people wondering what it is. How do you arrive there? What does that look like? And so and so like even just like you breaking down, like how you guys make content, I think is hugely important and super helpful. So thank you for doing that. Absolutely. Um, because, you know, like, oh, like make content for your audience. OK, you know, and granted, that's why people hire experts. But uh, at the end of the day, that's not helpful advice, you know, like figuring out, like you said, you know, starting with who's your audience, how much do I know about them? How can I learn more about them uh, so I can really just make great content and know which parts go where is awesome. So I'd say kind of part two of this particular part of the conversation uh, would move into um, obviously you guys, I would imagine, have some sort of funnel, some sort of like step-by-step, step, some sort of sure. journey that you have the people that interact with your content on. And so if you could, uh, to whatever level you're comfortable with, unpack some of that, that would be incredible. Sure. This might get um, 
a little convoluted. Uh, so please stop me uh, and ask me to explain anything or, or whatever we want to talk about. But so the organization has a funnel for the organization and then everything, everything else, uh, whether it's our communications funnel, donors funnel, whatever sort of, sort of is based off of that concept. But our organization is a membership organization. So we're, we're trying to get people to join. We're trying to get people to come to events. We're trying to get people to donate, advocate, et cetera. So a lot of actions that that maybe are not uh, exactly the same as in a business context, but have similar allies on the business side. Um, right. But the funnel revenue, is- Revenue, right? So revenue. that's the very yep. bottom, very bottom. Absolutely. Okay. So, but the funnel we tend to think about is, is the audience funnel. And so we have a chapter at every accredited law school in the country. That's 200 some law schools, for instance. And so that for us is the entry point for our audience. In some way, we need to get them to, um, to think about the general marketing funnel, hear about us, consider us, you know, take action, reoccurring action, et cetera. Sure. But starting with the law school audience. From there, where are they going to go? They're going to go into the workforce. They're going to scatter about the country. They're going to do different things. So we have geographic uh, chapters in 110 major cities across the country, professional lawyers chapters. Okay. Um, obviously, the funnel on the marketing side is slightly different for those folks because they have, at least for the most part, theoretically heard about us. They've become a member. So what do we want them to do? We want them to take increasing actions in the network. We want them to continue to go to meetings. We want them to maybe be part of leadership for a chapter. Uh, we certainly want to turn them into donors. So we have a young um, a young donors program, for instance, and okay. um, sort of just getting their feet wet. It's not a big amount of money, uh, but you get really cool benefits um, to do that. Right. Plus we're, you know, we're hoping that, and hoping for them that they go off and have really high paying, great jobs, and then can donate more later on, but we wanna get them interested. So at that professional level, you already start to get a lot of dispersion in the funnel because it's so geographically disparate. And even within a geography, lawyers, and maybe this has to do with customers as well, don't have the same overlapping interests. So we basically overlaid on top of that funnel uh, a, uh, a horizontal component to it, which is what we call practice groups. The idea of a practice group is simply, doesn't matter where you are, it matters what you're interested, what your area of the law is. Okay. So for instance, we have a practice group for attorneys that do environmental law. And it could be attorneys that do environmental law all across the country, but that's how we're organizing them with that part of the funnel. That's the commonality? Yes, okay. that's the commonality. From there, it gets really dispersed and really um, granular because then we start looking at professionals who go into academia, for instance, who wanna be law professors, and they have hyper particular needs compared to someone who's doing litigation um, or compared to someone who's working as an in-house in -house counsel for a corporation like mm -hmm. Walmart or, or whatever. Right. And then that is totally different from those who go into government and do government work. And so the funnel, I'm doing this, but it actually gets narrower, but <laughs> so I'm mixing up my visual metaphors, bad communication, but as it gets narrower and narrower, it basically, it doesn't get narrower as one funnel. 
And this goes back to thinking about more audiences that are smaller instead of one bigger audience. It becomes basically smaller and smaller funnels along the way with hyper particular asks for those people. So we have members all across the country who become judges, for instance, and judges have a lot of restrictions about what they can do. Sometimes they can do content stuff for us, but for the most part, it might be come be a, uh, a moderator on a panel, mm. for instance. So you're not giving your opinion. You're just here making sure that everyone else stays on track and plays nice and, uh, and it's and use, using your judging skills uh, to keep things on, on time and, and credibility whatever. and stuff too. Sure. Absolutely. But for someone who does litigation, they're going to be incredibly outspoken and want to be in the limelight and want to talk about issues and want to be maybe on the panel or in a video or leading a chapter or something like that. So as these funnels get smaller and smaller and smaller, the asks get hyper particular. And that's also because the buy-in is greater. Um, and you know, maybe then you can ask for more money or you can ask for introductions to donors or, or something like that. Um, so maybe I'm getting off on a tangent. I don't know. I hope I'm answering your question in some, no, so in what, some way. Like visually, what I'm thinking is you have this huge funnel and then inside of that, you know, you start having like more and more individual funnels that maybe funnel isn't right, the right, uh, visual for it. Uh, but certainly like it breaks off into just other areas that have their own needs maybe they're are they really funnels um maybe they're just more like audiences um well you know because <laughs> well, like you know like a i guess you know like like say for example for it to be like a true funnel you know i guess a judge would have to become aware they'd have to have some sort of ex exploration part and then a decision do they really have those three steps when they become a judge or is that only if they've never heard about you before well it's basically so like we can think about the more typical marketing funnel with an individual category or even a literal individual when it comes to a particular program, for instance. So if they've never heard about our documentaries, we still have to engage in the, in the same type of marketing funnel, but in a very different way, but we have to make them aware, we have to get them to consider it, we have to get them to consume it, reoccurring advocates, et cetera, however you wanna do it. Um, but but I think you know let's let's just keep calling it a funnel for the sake of just sure. having language. I think you can see in in what I described what we were talking about earlier, which is at the at the broadest part of the funnel, we actually don't know that. I mean, we know a lot, but we don't know that much about particular audiences because we don't know what their interests are going to be. We don't know what their level of dedication is going to be. We don't know all that much. We know they're in law school. We know where they are. We have basic demographic information. Etc. But as it goes along the funnel, we learn more and more and more about the audiences that we're serving. So we can design programs and content that is of particular interest for people with this particular set of attributes. And I think that's perhaps the key takeaway is whether you think about it as a funnel or, or however you, you, whatever visual uh, metaphor you want to use, the idea is on the broadest side, it's because you have the least information, but you want to get more and more information so you can really narrow it so that you can have particularized high-level asks for particular audiences um, along this path. And that's really the only way to get someone to take uh, a big enough action to be 
you know, a big donor or to, to be a keynote speaker at, at an event or, or something like that. You have to really have the knowledge. And hopefully if they've made it through this funnel, you not only have the knowledge of this person, but you've also built up enough ethos with them that the sale basically makes itself sure. at the They've end of the day. Really decided. Yeah. Hmm. Now that makes sense. And I think uh, part of your guys' strategy makes sense too. And, and for, for other people, I'm not sure, you know, it won't necessarily be as obvious maybe, but like, you know, part of what we, what people talk about when reaching audiences is, is where are they at? Um, sure. And so like that could be a physical place. It could be a, um, digital place. And so obviously you guys know, like, you know, it's pretty obvious that law students are going to law school. And so <laughs> that's, that's pretty obvious. And, and so yeah. you guys have taken advantage of that. Obviously that's like the awareness part of the funnel, um, where, you know, you know, people are exploring that for the first time. And so, uh, you know, when another business is trying to get through and say like, Hey, like, you know, where are my customers at? Like, where are they hanging out? Where are they, where do they learn their information from? Um, where are they chilling? Where are they working? All these other things. Then you begin to discover where you can actually have your messages at. And so for, I think you guys, that, that doesn't I'm, I'm guessing that doesn't necessarily inform your digital presence, but it's certainly informing your physical presence because of the fact that you have the chapters there. Yeah, absolutely. But I mean, you know, the way in which I'll tell you that it informs our digital practice is, you know, learning where they are online. So yes, we know where they are physically. We know typically their trajectory. We've become total experts at understanding sort of that path of our audience. But when I came on to the Federal Society, oh my goodness, seven years ago, oh, time flies. Um, there was not a good understanding of what law students and young lawyers, what they, how they acted in the digital space. Hmm. And so that was a that was a key endeavor for us was to actually talk to them, talk to real people in our audiences yeah. um, and ask them and do lots of surveys and conversations and deep dives on what is it that you want in the digital space? What would be a value to you? Where are you getting your information? Um, what is it about these things that you like? What is it about these things that you don't like? And really doing our homework to figure out, for instance, that it was not the natural inclination of the organization, for instance, to do a lot of video work. It just wasn't. Um, law is complex. Law has lots of sides. How could you possibly explain a legal concept in three minutes in a video? It's impossible. Challenge accepted, uh, right? <laughs> exactly. Um, but it became super obvious to us from all of this deep dive on our audience that that's what they wanted. They did want that. They didn't want us to stop doing panels, you know, hour and a half long events, deep dives on, on issues. Yeah. They didn't want us to stop doing journal articles, but they did want video content. They wanted podcast content. And look, at the end of the day, how super obvious is that to some degree? Young people want young media. What? <laughs> but we did a lot of work on what particular they, they want, what kind of value. That's how we came up with this number 86 concept, uh, because that was what people thought was missing from their law school experience was having competing views alongside not no one wanted online law school and that's not our goal right. either we're not just giving a law school online that you can become a lawyer at the end what we're doing is supplementing sure. and we're supplementing in a substantive way that actually helps people through their law school journey um 
And that has been a wild success for us. So ask, asking is great. Yeah. Who'd have thought? <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> you know, I, yeah, yeah, that goes, sorry, just, just one last point about sure. in thinking about defining your audience. And you're right. Sometimes people like me or, or other experts will just say, well, define your audience, you know, be particular about your audience. But what does that mean in practice? Well, I'll give you one thing it means in practice, literally talking to actual human beings. That's what it means in practice. And when we talk about defining our audiences, I will ask uh, other program directors, like name five people you know right now who you would consider in this audience. And we literally name these humans. Then we say, who are other people like these humans, right. <laughs> these actual people? And then we talk to them uh, and we try to serve them as best we can. So one hyper practical tip, it sometimes to me sounds like the most duh thing in the world, but when I talk to people, we weren't doing that uh, right off the bat, but it sure. seemed super obvious. And when I talk to other people, it, they're not doing it either. So maybe that helps in some way, I don't know. Oh, I'm sure it will, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, they just need to start doing it. Um, so one, so I know we're, we're getting a little close on time um, mm -hmm. and I wanna respect your time, but uh, one thing when you and I initially talked that I desperately want us to cover yeah. is um, the, the concept of being too smart for your own good when it comes to um, the people supplying you with the information for the content, right? And so, um, you know, uh, yeah, you know, we talked about lawyers. Sorry, mm -hmm. I keep hitting my microphone. We talked about like lawyers creating content. Um, I had talked about, you know, physicians creating content where like dumbed down for them is still up here for yep. normal human beings, right? And so as an effective communicator, you know, and you talked about like thinking smaller and smaller and smaller. Well, you were talking about that with audiences, but let's say clearer and clearer. Sure. Um, you know, you know, their dumbed down level just isn't like uh, digestible enough. It's not that people aren't smart enough to figure it out. Is that the way people have a limited time and willingness to unpack stuff. And so we got to unpack more and more things for people as attention spans get shorter and, and shorter. And so I would love to hear how you manage working with experts, not that they're hard to deal with, but how do you take their this upper level stuff and make it into that one to three minute video that's actually digestible, but still, you know, makes a punch? Great, great question. Something that comes up all the time for us, right? As you'd yeah. expect. Um, and one key thing to note, I'm not a lawyer. No one on my team is a lawyer. I have six other people who work with me in digital, no law degrees among <laughs> us. And that was a question at first. Can, you know, at the time it was three or four, but now seven, can seven non-lawyers actually create legal content for people? Mm. And the answer is, I think yes, and perhaps even better than a lawyer can. And part of the reason is we don't have to feign ignorance. <laughs> we are just in fact ignorant. And so many people talk about ignorance in this very negative way, but I was just reading a LinkedIn article today that I really liked that talked about how ignorance doesn't have to be this negative thing. It can just be a state of not knowing, but and but trying to get away from the, the portion of ignorance where you don't know that you don't know. That's mm, the key yes. concept. Um, and so part of it is, first, first and foremost, we always do our own research. 
doesn't matter if we're working with the best experts in the world, we need to be generally informed about whatever it is that we're talking about before we talk to them. Two, when we're talking to them, we are trying to design questions in a way that gets them to talk about the thing in multiple ways. And so what does that mean concretely? Well, one is first, just let them give you a description of whatever the thing is. Let's say it's Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act, which refers back to this, this video we did about uh, regulating social media. Well, what is it? Just explain it in your own words, what it is. And usually you get a nice explanation, but it's an explanation that's only suitable for a 3L audience or a professional lawyer, right? But we're trying to explain this to a first-year law student. Right. So then you, you can start to ask them specific questions that relate to that, like, well, you talked about such and such and such and such concept, but how would you explain that to, and then I tell them who our audience is. How would, and they, they are very familiar with law students. They were a law student themselves. Right. How would you explain that to a first year law student? Or if you were back in law school, how would you explain that to yourself in your first year of law school? That's a really good one. Getting them to think back about their own state of mind because that's, I think, the key concept here is what does, to the best of your ability to discern it, what does your audience know about this topic? And what don't they know about this topic? And how do you get them there? And so it's always getting the expert to think about, you know all these things, but how did you actually arrive at knowing these things? How did you get to the point where you're the expert on this? you didn't start off that way. You had to learn things. What were the things you had to learn about this in order to become the expert? And so even that will still sometimes uh, uh, generate answers that are just a little too complex or a little too wordy, or they just don't work, or it's five minutes and you really need to get it down to three or four. <laughs> and so you have a couple different options at that point. One is we very much tend to split up videos uh, so that we're really focusing on one core concept per video if it's a difficult concept, because that's about as much as a law student can really cognitively understand, um, because they'll usually have to think about it afterwards. Sure. But if we really want to get into one video, then it's even more so on the along the lines of, you know, asking them, well, what is the one most important thing someone would need to know about Section 230? If you were literally riding in an elevator with someone, and you had to tell them, hey, <laughs> I don't know why this comes up, but hey, did you know that the most important thing about Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act is dot, 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 dot? What is that? That better be a tall building. <laughs> yes. Willis Tower in Chicago um, or the Burj, Burj Dubai. Um, so and sometimes that elicits things, but we have lots of tactics very similar to that. I won't go through every single one of them. Sure. Again, key concept here is just trying to get them to say the thing in different ways. And you can you can try tricks, you can try psychological tactics, but honestly, what we've found to be the most effective is telling them that is very intelligent, that is very smart, but we don't think our audience is gonna understand it. So how can we go back and, and talk about it again? Now, you could become a master at that, when you can do that in this very conversational, non-interruptive tone that doesn't take them out of their flow, it just sort of keeps ebbing them back and forth and they can just keep going through it. And that just takes practice. But if you ha don't have the practice, absolutely do not be afraid to stop and say, 
that was fantastic. But there are a lot of things I didn't understand about that. And we don't think our audience is going to understand it either. Right. So. Okay. That makes sense. Um, So let's see here. So for like. So if you're not doing video, if you're not doing an interview in real time, Mm -hmm. um, I guess it would be just thinking about those things ahead of time. So let's just say, you know, um, like it's a blog post or something, you know, you're trying to get something a little bit quotable out of them or something like that. It's just it's making sure that you're anticipating their answer by informing them of who the audience is so they can get you you know hopefully 85 percent of the way there yeah uh, you could edit it send it back and say hey does this still sound like what you were intending um how do you how do you deal with people when like if they like obviously they're giving an answer that they believe is adequate right Mm-hmm. What do you do when they're like, ah, this is a little too, little too stripped down? How do you how do you give the pushback on that to say like, like I get it, but like, it is not going to play. Yeah, in a tactful it's a good, manner. <laughs> you seem a like a tactful point. guy, so I, I, I'm sure there's you've had those conversations and and found um, a, a, a classy way around it. So there are a couple ways, and maybe this this. Some of these won't work for everyone, but again, one of the things that we maybe have an advantage of as a nonprofit is we can seek funding to do more videos on a particular topic or something like that. And so one of the key ways that we tend to satiate people in this regard is, okay, understand that you want to explain that component of section 230, but really let's do another video on that component. If you really think it's important and it needs more explanation, let's explain this one thing, and that will be one video. And then let's take time to explain this other thing and we can make that into another video Mm. or another piece of content. One way we started to supplement that lately because we can't do more video content in the documentary space and also we don't want our documentaries to run on for an eternity (laughs) is we started a podcast about these documentaries. So it's called called the FedSox Films Podcast where we have on uh, either the people from the the film or additional guests to further explain points that we just couldn't fully explicate in the film. Sure. And that has been a great way actually to satiate a lot of experts, which is, Hey, come on and talk for longer in this longer <laughs> form format. Don't tease them with a good time. Go wild. Uh, <laughs> and if it's 25 minutes, it's 25 minutes. What do I care? Right. Um, Cause it's a podcast and, you know, added benefit there. It's sort of a low cost additional content piece part of a package that supplements uh, what your audience is looking for in the first place. And your, your experts are really happy with it. And then finally, if you're, if you're unfamiliar, uh, I just became familiar with this book. I'm not all the way through it yet, but I, I, some of the principles I've already been enacting, it's called the challenger sale. Mm-mm. It's the, the core concept as I've, I've gotten into it so far is that sometimes the best sales and it, it is in the context of sales in particular, don't come from the people who make buddy, buddy, who aren't your best friend, but are actually come from salespeople who will push back and say, look, I understand where you're coming from, but maybe we're just not the right company for you. Or or, that's just not the type of product we want to put out. Maybe I can help you find someone else. And typically that makes people even more interested in working with you. Mm. (laughs) But in the context of 
talking with experts and things like that. If you're genuine about it, and that's the key point here, don't ever do it simply as some sort of manipulative tactic. But if you genuinely believe, for instance, that, look, I understand that you you think this is important. And look, I can see that it's probably important, but it's just not going to work for this kind of video. It's not going to work in this context. We just really can't do it because it's going to make the video worse off if we include it. Um, in many, many cases, that is actually enough to satiate people because you're having a genuine conversation and you're being forthright with them. Right. Like, because at the end of the day, we both, the expert and, and our team, we want the best product possible. Sure. We want the best piece of content marketing that we can possibly create. And if you level with them, because you're the expert in this field, in the field of the, the content making, that this additional piece is just going to hinder the end product, they will usually think twice about it. And, and you try to find a different way around it. Uh, maybe it's through a different content vehicle, or maybe they just decide to leave it out altogether. But hmm. yeah, I, I like that. I like that idea of being able to divert them into still being productive, uh, both for you and for them with like the idea of like doing another video or uh, something even more intentional, like you mentioned the podcast, uh, mm -hmm. to allow them to unpack uh, these uh, complex ideas. Um, so that's really cool. I mean, and, and you know, let's be honest, like, there's more more than one way to look stupid. Like, uh, certainly, you know, because the fear is that they probably maybe look, yeah. maybe they look dumb because they didn't um, sound smart. Uh, but what also looks pretty dumb is when you talk about something and no one has any clue what you're talking about. Um, that also can feel pretty stupid too. And Absolutely. so I, I totally agree with that, that as a trusted advisor for these experts, you're like, hey, like, like this sounds super smart, but at the end of the day, people don't know what this video is about. Um, that ain't gonna feel, you know, that's gonna feel pretty dumb too. Uh, you know, you don't say it that way, but that's yeah. essentially what you're helping them avoid. And I, you know, hopefully they get that. Um, so yeah, thank you for walking us through that. That's super helpful. Um, obviously an expert has so much to bring to the table. And so having some, some tact and some foresight and how to leverage that is obviously huge as a content creator. Um, yeah. So, because like you said, it's expensive time for them, for you uh, uh, to to have them sitting in a chair to begin with. And so uh, you wanna be able to maximize that. So is there any parting things that you'd like to share before we wrap this up? Um, I, know, I know that's kind of open-ended thing, but is there anything in the time that we've talked, you're like, yeah, I definitely wanna like hit this one point really hard. Um, aside from the, the, the core point that every marketer talks about, and you've talked about a million times about knowing your audience, mm. um, I think maybe one of the key things that we leave out in the persuasion space, especially is actually knowing yourself mm. and what your actual goals are. And even sometimes, uh, again, we were talking about earlier content marketing is basically how you get to sales. Like if you've only thought about it as a sales mechanism, it's not going to work that well. So what is it that you, the content creator, really want to get out of this? Why are you doing it? Why is it valuable to you? And actually define that, write it out, try to refine it and figure out what it means for you so that there is some meaningful effort behind this and a reason that you're doing it. So yes, know your audience, key concept, can't do marketing without it. 
But honestly, knowing yourself is a key concept that you really can't do marketing uh, without either, but we don't talk about it as much. Sure. I feel like that's the, I feel like that's the, the artist in you coming out. Cause I know like, cause like you're saying that and I can like feel it hit me. Um, like no joke. Um, I can feel that stirring up something inside of me where it's kind of like, huh? Like, uh, and I'm, I'm not a person who's just about doing the work to get, you know, get the check. Uh, that's not really how I operate, but I don't know if I sit there and like you said, I don't know if I'm as intentional about writing it out to know why I'm doing that. Uh, I like, I know why I'm doing my business. You know, I know why I'm doing content. I know why I'm shooting video. You obviously know why you're doing what you're doing. But in this specific instance, you know, why am I doing this? And I think that's just a great question to ask yourself because I I do believe that passion uh, drives excellence. Um, and so uh, it's, it's almost impossible not to do a good job at something you care a great deal about. And so um, I think that's that's huge. So I think and, and from your from your audience perspective, it goes back to what we talked about with ethos. Mm. That is a genuine authenticity that cannot be replicated. That if you understand why you're doing this and know why you're doing it and understand it and love it, et cetera, can't can't fake it. Honestly, you really just you can't, and your audience will know it. So right, yeah, they're not stupid. <laughs> So, okay. So, uh, just to wrap things up, uh, where can people find you? Obviously I saw on your little, uh, chalkboard back there, you got at Daniel Richards. So at Daniel T. T Richards. Richards. Ooh, good call. T Daniel Richards. is such a generic name that I, I decided years ago for branding purposes. Got to throw the T in. Sure. Um, yeah. <laughs> so at Daniel T Richards on various social media, Instagram, Twitter, uh, Daniel T Richards.com slash writing. If you're interested in some blog posts on these topics and, uh, yeah. Shoot, shoot me a message. Happy to chat. Happy to uh, hear feedback on on the art from uh, in my background or uh, or anything I said in the podcast. So that's fantastic. Thank you so much. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you, Stephen. Had a lot. Had a lot of fun. Appreciate it.